But the brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So let's go to Lord prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a chance to open up your word and uh, to share from it. God, we thank you for the gospel uh, that we find there. We thank you for the command uh, that we have in your word for those who have believed. God, we thank you that it shows us who you are, that it shows us who we are, that it shows us our great need for you and for your guidance, for your word in our lives. God, we thank you for the mission it calls us to. Father, as, as we do each week, we pray for the church of Blount County. God, specifically this Lord's Day, we pray for our friends at uh, First Baptist Alcove. Um, the, the leadership there, Chandler and our brother Cody. Um, God, we pray for you to continue to work in that church, um, for you to um, God, stabilize it in terms of the things, uh, the difficulties that they have. But God, also that you can uh, continue to, to work and move and build and grow. Um, God, and establish um, uh, that church in, this, in, in its community. Um, God, we pray for its blessing. We pray for, for more people to come, to listen, to hear, um, to, to receive the gospel, to believe the gospel, and to be saved for, for newcomers to the outdoor community to uh, enter that church and, and be discipled and taught the gospel and get opportunities to serve. Um, Father, we ask for your blessing um, on on a sister congregation and all the work they are doing. God, we ask that your word would go out through Blunt County um, this day, every day, through your people. God, that as, as people have heard the gospel preached today, God, that they would go to their workplaces, their schools tomorrow, and that they would share with others what they have heard and what they have learned, and that they would open the word of life, which is the bread of life, uh, and, and feed those who are hungry. Help us to do that. Help us to be um, mindful of those opportunities, Father. Help us to reach out to those who are yearning to hear the word. God, we trust that you will go before us and prepare the hearts as we do. Again, thank you for this time. We ask that you open uh, this passage of scripture to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we come to a theme that is has been recurring a couple of times in, in the book of Philippians, okay? Sometimes people read Philippians and, and they think of it as almost a, a primer for new believers, okay? It, it, it sort of locks us into some certain themes and attitudes uh, that, that are pretty central at the beginning of a walk with Christ. And one of those that we've seen mentioned a couple of times now is sort of this idea of of mentors or role models or examples that you follow. 
And so I'm going to use a sort of, obviously, as, as the, the title of this sermon suggests, I'm going to use sort of a current word, influencers, right? Now, uh, that, that term, influencers, is very new in our culture, at least the way it is used in our culture. So I looked it up, and 2019 is the first time that influencer was used in the current way that we talk about it. When we talk about influencers, we're talking about a person who, who has a, uh, a media following, um, typically, and presumably they can use that following in, in media, social media, to steer their followers' beliefs, probably more specific to, to their purpose. They can steer their followers' buying habits, right? That's usually what is actually going on behind the scenes in those situations. Um, but there's been a lot of talk over the last few years about the phenomenon of influencers, social media influencers, of their place in society and how they are influencing society for good, bad, or indifferent. But obviously the truth is that there have always been influencers. There have always been those people in society who had an, an inordinate amount of influence on other people. It's just that in our modern day with the media and social media and, and, and our technology, those platforms become easier and, and larger. So obviously we might make a distinction between influencers and, and role models, but, but the lines are pretty blurry, okay? Oftentimes those, it's people we are looking for to inform us about our opinions and, and how we should think and, and, and all those kind of things. And Paul has a word for us. He's, and, and he's already talked about these issues a little bit, but he wants to uh, reinsert the, the importance of them right here in verse 17, where he starts and says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Join in imitating him, Paul, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. All right, so Paul says, I am encouraging you guys once again, keep your eyes on me and people who live like me. In your church, there's an old saying that you would hear dads and granddads say to their sons. It was, "Show me your friends, and I'll tell you your future." Have you ever heard that? Can you say something that effect? Right? We can say the same thing about role models. Show me who your role models are, and I'll show you what your future is going to be. I'll tell you the mindset that you are going to have when you get down the road. I think one of the problems is that we, as modern people, we compartmentalize our lives a little too easily. So what I mean by that is. We can have in our head where we can say, okay, well, this is the personal part of my life. This is spiritual. This is the vocational. This is the political. And this is the maybe athletic or, or these are the, my special interests or, or whatever, right? Um, and then into each one of those boxes, we have somebody who speaks into those places, right? And we can sort of isolate their advice and their um, influence into those little places. Remember how last week I talked about the fact that Paul never presents himself, though, as a guru, right? He never presents himself as somebody who's figured it all out in one of these boxes or categories. He always presents himself as somebody who is faithfully following Jesus Christ and who is, who, who is, uh, still can make mistakes, still hasn't learned it all, still hasn't arrived at, at perfection or anything like that. But it's somebody who is faithful and is a little further down the road than you are. So somebody that we can set our eyes on, as he followed Jesus Christ, we can follow him, right? But the reality is this. Most of us, many of us, we want a guru. 
Okay? You want somebody who you can look to and say, oh, this guy's got all the answers, right? This guy has got, he's got it all figured out. And if I've got a question about anything, particularly in these, these, uh, compartmentalized sections of my life, I can go to this guru, some kind of person, um, and they can give me the answer that I need. Usually those people are professionals, right? We do that. I'm a professional in some way, right? Uh, they should know everything about that subject, and I can trust their opinion on it. Except there's a problem, especially when we come to the world of social media influencers, is the one, the first problem is that these supposed gurus and, and, and professionals oftentimes aren't, right? They're not people who are experts in the fields that they are presenting, right? They are influencers building a platform, disseminating content to the world, but we're listening to them like they have all the answers, and the truth is they don't. They're just putting stuff out there to generate uh, hits and likes and, and traffic and, and, and revenue and things like that. They have no real expertise. They just have a big platform. But here's the deal. That's not the main issue that Paul would be concerned with, obviously. He's not just worried about people who have a big voice in society. Here's what his issue is. It's right there in verse 17. He says, what I'm worried about is I want you guys to keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that has been set in us. Okay? I'm not worried about the false experts. What I'm worried about is that you would not worry about false experts. That you would focus your heart and minds and lives and attentions on the people who are following Jesus Christ faithfully. Like, what if we took that literally, just that one phrase of what Paul just said? What if we said, the people that I am going to focus my attention on is just going to be people who, who could be an example of that phrase, right? I'm not going to worry about what politicians say. I'm not going to worry about what superstars say. I'm not going to worry about what social media influencers say. Who I want to set my eyes on. Do I want to model my character, my belief, my values, my life off of? Is the people like Paul who are radically sold out to Jesus Christ? That's who I'm going to focus on. That's what Paul suggests we do. If we don't walk like Paul, as Paul imitates Christ, our idolizing gaze is falling on somebody else that is unworthy. Of that gaze. And so we've got to be careful who our influencers are. I think, again, as adults, it is we are we are way more influenced by influencers than we would like to believe. Right? We would like to believe that, oh no, I came, I'm here, I'm in my twenties, I'm in my thirties, I'm in my forties, I'm in my fifties, I'm an adult. And I have fully formed opinions about the way the world works, and I get it, right? And then, like, you listen to, like, one thing on the Internet, and you're like, oh, everything's different now. I have a completely different opinion about all of the things in my life. Like, it shifts that quick. We are very easily influenced, especially on things that we really don't know anything. Okay? And guess what? Most of us don't know a lot about a lot. Um, we don't know a lot about a whole lot of things. And so we just look for somebody. That person said something interesting. They go, that's going to be my deal for a little while. And then we hear somebody else say something more interesting. We're like, no, that's my deal now. And, and we just shift around these things. We hear something new. And yet Paul was saying, 
I want you to follow people who are following Jesus Christ, who are locked into who Jesus Christ is. So you could say, if we were to follow Paul literally, our only influencers would be those who were faithful, solid believers in Jesus Christ. We worry about anybody else. But there's also a negative side to the principle too, and that's the positive side. There's a negative principle too, and Paul basically says that in verse 18. He said, why? Because here's the problem with lots of people out there in the world who are influencers. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with fear and with, with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul is saying the problem is, and he said this without equivocation, that some of those people who were influencers out there, some of those people who the Philippian church and us by extension might be drawn to as sources of wisdom, as heroes, as role models, as sages, as gurus, they are actually enemies of the cross of Christ. And if that is the case, then honestly, Paul is saying it doesn't matter what good info they have or good insight they have. If these people are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ, they're not the people that we should be listening to. So I've talked about already, I suspect that Philippi, the see of Philippi, had lots of influencers. And, and, and part of the reason that is that we've already said Philippi was an important sister city of Rome. It was considered like a little Rome. So it had a lot of the cultural things that were going on in Philippi that would have been in Rome. We've also made the comment that it was a popular retirement city for the military. So when a, when a military person would retire, they would go and live in Philippi. And I don't know if you guys have paid attention to the world now. I'm sure it works pretty much the same way as it did back then. Ex-military people tend to have, tend to end up being influencers, uh, either by um, talking about the various subjects or, or leadership or things like that they're aware of, or by becoming politicians, right? Obviously, we have a pipeline, particularly in our country, of people who go from the military into politics. The ancient world was no different. Um, that was the best way to, to kind of make your claim to leadership in the ancient world. It's to be a successful military leader, and that could lead into these other things. Okay, so I'd say Bill Pye had a number of people who had their eyes on being people of influence in the society. We've already talked about another group, this group at a spiritual level who were influencers, called the Judaizers. These are the people who, the Jews in the community, who were undermining the biblical gospel of salvation, undermining the message that salvation is in Christ by grace through faith, by adding in the ceremonial law, by basically saying that you can't just trust in Jesus to be saved, you must do all the Old Testament things too. These people were influencers as well, right? They were trying to get people to live a certain way and believe a certain way and, and do all these things. So they were trying to steer the church in a specific direction. But neither of these groups had Jesus or the cross of Christ at their center of their message and their beliefs. Both of them would be steering the culture in a way that didn't connect to that. And so what Paul then does is he says, hey, here's some things that you might look for. If there's a person out there who is, who is trying to influence church or people in church. Here's here would be some telltale signs that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Even if at times they might say some helpful things, right? 
Because that's always a problem. Like, you look at people and we go, well, he's, he's got some wisdom over here. I don't like the way he talks over here, right? I wish he wouldn't do these things, but he sure is smart when it comes to these things. That's a problem that we all deal with all the time when we're looking for influences. And Paul says, well, here's the deal. If you see some of these signs, you see people who live like this, then you should probably consider them enemies of the cross of Christ and have nothing to do with them in terms of your um, your attentive gaze. So what does he say? He said, one, if you see people who are living and making their God is their belly, all right? These are not people who you want to follow, okay? Now, not belly, right? Okay, not, don't look towards me when, when I say that, right? But when we talk about, when the Bible talks about bellies, it's talking about your appetites, okay? So whether that is a desire for sex or food or control or whatever, is that appetite the guiding force of your life? Is it the thing that is making you determining your life and existence? Okay. Uh, told you there's this meme going around about uh, men are always thinking about the Roman Empire, right? I've been thinking about the Greek Empire lately. So, for like, last month I've been reading all this, like, Greek history and Greek stuff or whatever. Let me tell you, um, there were a lot of men in ancient Greece whose God was their belly. I won't get into it because. It's probably PG-13 to R-rated. Uh, but there were lots of people who lived in that ancient society whose God was their belly. Their desires, their lusts were what drove them in their lives. And Paul basically says, he makes this distinction. He says, if there are people who are living this way, you don't need to listen. You don't need to focus. No matter how much other good stuff they might have to say. He has made a distinction. Remember we talked about chapter one where he said there are people out there who have some pure motives. They're, they're, they're sharing the gospel in some ways to, to build their own ministries and things like that. So their motives aren't exactly pure. But I think that's not exactly the people Paul's talking about. Those people, even though they've got some impure motives, are still not what we're talking about here. These are people whose God is their belly. The determining force in their life is their own drives and accidents. But there's another, there's actually three things to do. The second one is that their glory is their shame. Okay? The things that they should be ashamed of are the things that they glory, that they parade, that they make um, what they they are, are proud of and, and gives them status in the society, right? Their attitudes, activities, behaviors that the Bible would say were sinful or wicked or an abomination. And yet the culture would celebrate that as identity. Right? And so it comes from all sides, right? We see this in all sectors of our civilization, Western civilization. We see it on the right, we see it on the left. There are more obvious examples of it in terms of things like um, the gay pride movement, right? Celebrating things that the scriptures would say were sinful or, or wicked. Like we often hear these stories and think, read these things in the newspaper, wait for the newspaper anymore. Uh, but you, you see them in the news at the very least, where you assume that things going on at, at a gay pride event would be people eating cookies and uh, singing kumbaya. And guess what? It doesn't look like that. Uh, and oftentimes the things that were taking place, you would look to and say, you would be uh, appalled at what was going on. 
And yet those are the very things that we uplift and say, this is what we should be celebrating in our country. But at the same time, I want to just pick on, on what you might say the leftist side of things, because here's something that we've noticed among rightist people in our, in our culture. Um, because to be straight up, that's for what I listen to. My, my worldview, my politics leans to the right. And here's something that I have noticed a ton more in, in recent years, is there is a rise of a kind of right-leaning voice that is almost painful in its sensibilities. Certainly devoid of Christianity at all, right? There's no semblance of Christianity. And one example that I've been struck by lately is, is different conservative talking head type characters on, on news and, and media, particularly social media influencer types, who give some sort of lip service to traditional values and traditional, um, you know, uh, gender norms and all those kind of things like that. But then when you ask what those norms are, they include male sexual promiscuity and infidelity. Right? Uh, they normalize. They champion the attitude that real people sleep with whoever they want to, whenever they want to. And that that's the way we're designed. That's in our DNA. That's what it means to be a man. It is intrinsic to maleness. It is necessary to our authentic lives. Now, obviously, they're getting some of that from a Darwinian sort of sense of the world, right? You know, they're saying, oh, well, you look at, you look at animals down in the wilderness, right? Uh, the males is, is mating with all kinds of different females, and that's just, that's just the way evolution and history and life and whatever they have worked. But the reality is, is the Bible would call that prosaic, right? We use euphemisms, uh, they sleep with people, things like that. Uh, no, the Bible calls it fornication, right? It is something that is illicit, that it is wicked. Um, it's not something that should be looked at without, you know, voice to be voice, right? And yet we have a culture that is thinking more the way pagans saw. Again, I go back to the, the Greeks or any other really of the pagan cultures where there's a complete ambivalence towards these things. Another thing that I keep listening to and hearing as a youth pastor Working with students, right? This the youth culture that is obsessing around body counts, right? Where people talk regularly about what's your body count? How many people have you slept with? How many people have you um, have been sexually active with? And that's the, the mark of status, right? It's a mark of glory. It's a mark of achievement, right? It's something that you want that number to go up. You want it to be high because that's some kind of picks that you are worthy of something. So sexuality is easy part of it. But it demonstrates the point so well that we glory in the things that we should be ashamed of. We glory in what in any other time in church history the church would have said, and that's something that we should never be connected to or involved with. The last thing is he says, our minds are set on earthly things. If you see people who are minds are set on earthly things, they are unworthy to be your the people that you set your attention on. They're unworthy to be your influencers. So again, just that phrase by itself, your mind is set on earthly things, well, that broadens it out, doesn't it? Our bellies being our gods, our shame being our glory, it's pretty particular. Our minds are set on earthly things. 
But if you guys notice, there's a lot of earthly things. Okay? It's a whole lot of stuff for us to be focused The first phrase pointed us to things that are base or common in our lives. The second to what is sinful is shameful. But Paul is also saying, man, the fact that if there's an influencer whose goal or end is only on earthly things, that is hopelessly short-sighted. If we are following people who make temporal things eternal things, contingent things ultimate things, then while those things in and of itself may not be sinful every single time, the wrongful focus placed in our worldview is certainly sinful. Right? To make a finite thing an ultimate thing makes that thing a sinful. Does that make sense? Right? You take something that is not of ultimate value and make it of ultimate value, it may have been fine when you treated it as just an ordinary everyday thing. Now that you made it an ultimate thing, it has now become sinful. And obviously an easy target would be something like, you know, televisions of, of, I feel like they're, I feel like they're still on a downturn, but maybe not. Maybe I'm just not listening to the right ones or something like that, right? But, uh, you know, these guys who, who, who present these massive ministries, and, but at the end of the day, it was really about money. They were not so much concerned with the spiritual work that was going on. They were concerned with building a financial empire. And so Paul would say that money is a woefully lacking end. Financial success is a small goal. And if you see people around you who are making earthly things, ultimate things, then don't focus your attention on those people. He prefaced the entire section by saying, these people, their end is their destruction. Where is this all leading? Where is their shame, glory, belly ending? It's ending in destruction. These people will all end up in the same place. So if you follow them, then you may be in danger of ending up in that place as well. Because none of those things are big enough or worthy enough to be the center of your life. Paul says, I have led you in a way that points to the coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ as big enough to stay your life. And anything less than that is unworthy of it. So if you're going to follow somebody, follow somebody who's following Jesus. And again, obviously, as we said weeks before, or just follow Jesus. Okay? The problem is, is that can get a little... It gets a little nebulous for us, right? Sometimes we need somebody who's got feet on the ground that feels a little closer, you know, um, and, and it helps us to have somebody who's standing next to us in a church or in life or whatever. And so I get it, like, and Paul gets it. That's why he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But Paul says, focus on those people who put the kingdom as their ultimate goal. And notice this. Then what Paul kind of describes, the kingdom is the mirror opposite of all those other people that we just mentioned. Look at verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So, so think back through. While some people may make their God their belly, our God is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We await his return. And as Romans says, In waiting for Jesus, we make no provision for the flesh. Meaning, we don't 
make our appetites in any way a determiner of our actions. We're not thinking, well, how can I please the, the, the different uh, appetites and desires that I have? And it's still keeping track with, with Jesus. No, he said, you don't make provision for flesh. Okay? We follow Jesus Christ as our God. He is the one that determines these things in our life. I don't obey them. I obey the commands and commitments of my Savior and Lord. They glory in what is base and shameful. Paul says the opposite. We await a transformation. A transformation that will free us from this pervasive and persistent, fallen, flawed, fickle nature that we have. Right? We're not trying to figure out a way to make the bad stuff in our lives acceptable as we follow Jesus. No, what we're doing is saying, I wish this stuff in my life was dead. I wish it was gone. Right? I wish that all of that junk that I think and feel and believe, my doubts, my fears, my lusts, I'm not trying to figure out how to make these things fit in Christianity and make last. I wish they were dead and I was a different person. I wish I had been made new. And I'm sure we've all experienced that as something, right? We all think to ourselves, man, I look forward to the day that I will stand in heaven in perfection, and I won't have to feel these things anymore and be tempted by these things anymore. That all of this will be past, and I will be a new person, right? And we already are new people, right? There's that, that already not yet stuff. The transformation has begun. We are new people. We have a new standing with God. And yet, the way that is all going to play out will not be completed until we see Jesus Christ. But recognize this. Our bodies will be transformed. The lowliness is the word that he uses, right? The, the weakness, the commonality, um, it's all going to be taken away from them. We're going to get new bodies. Bodies that are in keeping with his glorious body. So we don't want to glory or shame we want our shame disposed of. And lastly, he says, the worldly wise seeks a home here in this life, right? What do we do? We want our citizenship to be in heaven. We don't want to be have our eyes focused on this world. We are already focused somewhere else. We've already talked about this theme of citizenship is playing itself out for the book, right? Why? Because this is Philippi, and that language makes sense to them, because citizenship in the Roman Empire is very important to these people. And so Paul uses it again as an illustration. Our citizenship is not in this world, but it's in heaven. Our destination, our eternal dwelling place is the new heaven and the new earth. And so there's the old joke or illustration about, you don't go to a hotel and start tearing the wallpaper down and painting and putting up new drapes, things like that. Why? You're not going to be there very long. You're not going to stay in that place. Your eyes are already set on your home. The place that you're going to spend eternity. It is here. The world is worried about here. Now, what can I do to make this place as comfortable for me and as beneficial for me? And then I'll die, and I can't take any of it with me, and I guess I'll leave it to somebody else. We say, no, I'm going to do this, what I can to store treasure in heaven. 
to prepare myself to enter into that place and to be um, blessed when I enter into my eternal home. And so Paul presents this. He said, look, there's these two guys. I want you to follow people like me, like Jesus. And you are going to have all kinds of temptations to follow somebody else. And I love the way Paul said, he said, I say this even with tears. Did you notice that? When he says that there are people out there who are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. I say this with tears. Why do you think Paul's saying it with tears? Because he knows what's going to happen. He knows that there are going to be people in the church of Philippi who are wooed away by these beliefs. People who are misled in that following into false beliefs and false um, focuses and they feel glory in their shame. Their God will be their belly. They'll have their eyes focused on the world and it will end in their destruction. So Paul says, I'm, 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 even with tears, I say these things to you because he's worried about it. He's warning. And here's the thing for us. Probably the case is, is we just talk about all those extremes and we don't sit anywhere near them, most of us, right? We sit somewhere in between. Like we look at people whose shame is, is their glory or their, their belly is their God and we go, yeah, I'm following Jesus Christ. Like I'm, that's not where I'm at. And yet at the same time, like I think we also look to our own lives and we say, but I don't feel like I'm quite keeping my eyes set on Jesus and following him the way I should. There's still these worldlinesses that come in. There's still ways that I'm trying to justify the sin in my life. There's still these different things that I'm, I'm toying with. And that's why Paul tells us, do our hearts and attitudes lean towards citizenship in heaven or on earth? Do they lean toward worship of self? They lean towards worship of Jesus Christ. I think it's funny how we'll kind of close with this idea is particularly in our modern culture, we spend so much time concerned about what we put in our bodies. Right? There's a whole industry of health food and exercise and things like that. We want to make sure the food is pure. And it's not GMO, and it's not you know cholesterol, fat, calories. We make we we worry about this stuff, and right, it's, it's not that's not a bad thing, okay. But what's interesting is that we care almost nothing about what goes into our minds a lot of times. That we will fill it with all of the garbage and let all kinds of things pass by it and through it. And what we say to ourselves is, "I'm an adult. We want to fat." I can keep these things separated. I can let this stuff flow through and I'll take the good that I want out of it and I'll let the bad go by. I can do that because I'm a grown up. I think Paul's saying, you're probably not as grown up as you think you are. And probably the case is that there's no such thing is we are what we take in. It's just what we are. If you eat garbage, your health is going to be garbage. If you think and receive and watch and learn garbage, there's almost no way that you're not going to be having some of this stuff going on here be garbage as well. It's just the way it is. And it's the way everybody is. You know what? We all think we're better than that. We all do, right? We just do. But you're not. And so it, it gets weird right here, right? Because we don't want to step into legalism. We don't want to start wagging our finger at everybody who walks by us who, you know, 
watching The Office or whatever, right? You know, like we're not, that's not what we're doing, okay? Uh, like, I'm, you know me, I'm about as pop culture connected as it is the come, right? Okay? But you need to be aware of that. Uh, man, there's a lot of junk out there. Let's forget about pop culture. There's a lot of, we're about to come into it, guys. It's bad. In like a year, we're going to be having another election. Okay? It's not going to get any better this time around. It's all the same stuff. Okay? And we are going to be over and over again inundated with blurbs and philosophy and thought bubble and politics and one-liners, things like that. And we're going to do what we always do, is we're going to pick a camp, and then we're going to sort of go, yeah, 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 the people in my camp tell me the truth, right? Or at least more of the people in that other camp. And here's what I think Paul's saying. He's going, you know what? None of them are telling you the truth. Jesus is telling you the truth. Focus on Jesus, Okay? Stop listening to the listening to the left. Stop listening to the right. Stop listening to the conservatives. Stop listening to the progressives. Okay? Listen to Jesus. And you're going to find out that probably the case is, is that there are things on each side that Jesus is going to be for in some way and things that he's going to be against. And again, I've got my opinion like everybody on it. Which one is closer to what Jesus is? But that's not the point. The point is, listen to what Jesus says. Set your eyes upon him. And he will make your path straight. So, who are your role models? Who are your gurus? Who are your influencers? If they're not people like Paul, then you need new ones. That's it. I like to end my sermon sometimes with an, uh, oh, is that all? I think I've done it quite well. <laughs> so what I want to do is pray. Uh, pray for, again, honestly, our country in the next year, because I think we're about to enter into another mess. Okay? Um, and I'm going to tell you this also, to brag on us as church, I think we weathered the last test pretty well. Okay, because uh, we got a lot of different views in this this church about a lot of different things, and yet, um, I think the case is, is that in general we were able to say, yeah, but you know what? Those views are not the gospel. Those views are not Jesus Christ, and so we are unified around Jesus Christ, even if we disagree about other issues. So I hope we can do that again. We start to sum up. We're literally. A month away from being a hero. So don't lose something. We're a month away from being a hero. So it's coming. Um, and I hope you follow across in all of it. All right. So let's pray. Uh, ask God to work and, and um, we'll close. Father God, we are so confident in our assertions. We are so confident in our own views uh, of ourselves uh, and our world. We are so certain that, that we have a, a corner on the way things should go, the way things should be. Uh, and yet, if we are faithful and honest every time we open up your word, 
it is a challenge to us, no matter where we stand on any issues, uh, it is a challenge to us to think differently at some level. Uh, we all be role models, we all be people in uh, life and faith that, that have gone before us, we can set our eyes upon, that can help to help us to navigate all the craziness, the pitfalls, the ups and downs of life. God, you in your wisdom have told us where to look. You look to those who are following your son, Jesus Christ. Look to those whose eyes are not set on the things of the world and are set on the things of heaven. But they are not set on how to satisfy the desires of the flesh, but how to store up treasures in the next life. How to do good, serve our fellow man, serve humans. Be or two. Not the feet. God's we have made up our own lives, not the political party, not the philosophy, not the top psychology, or even the feet of Jesus. That helps you fail. Let's cast our eyes on those who are followers. I love you, praise you, cast us in Jesus' name. Amen.